This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for this Tuesday, February 21st. We've got uh, clouds moving in today, a pretty good chance of some rain showers or flurries, the high plus four degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, a winter storm is set to land Wednesday night. Number two, Queens Park resuming today. Number three, the Up Express returns to its 15-minute service. Number four, Torontonians' health was hammered by the pandemic. And number five, Russia was warned about Joe Biden's Kiev visit as the first anniversary of the Russian invasion approaches. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Well, happy Tuesday to you. How happy is it? Most people, I think, had Monday off. So I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope it it was funny. Maybe it's just in, in the way it's being reported on that it really seems that people have kind of gotten into the swing of celebrating family on family day. So, you know, all sorts of simple pleasures in life from tobogganing to ice skating to just spending a little time together, going to visit the grandparents, all of that stuff seemed to be on the table yesterday. And uh, my thanks to Jason Agnew, who was uh, in yesterday. Actually, I think the whole team was, was working yesterday. Um, but it's, it was nice to have a day to sleep in. Why? I think I made it to five. And what a funny weekend in terms of news, because there's an awful lot of stuff that was definitely addressed on our show yesterday, but it's my first time in the seat and on the microphone since a lot of stuff happened. Not going to spend too much time today talking about John Tory walking out of city hall on Friday night, because that was Friday night. We knew it was coming. We've had the weekend to process, and I think moving forward, the big question is, how long is it going to take us to get a permanent mayor? Because the interim mayor, Jennifer McKelvey, is not planning on running, so she is just going to be a caretaker. She and her team have promised to make an appearance on our show this week, so we're looking forward to that conversation, because I think a lot of Torontonians want to know, okay, so who are you? And, you know... Yes, this is going to be a caretaker piece of business, but we can't do nothing for three months, four months, five months, six months, whatever it takes to get us a new mayor. So what kind of priorities do you have? Speaking of which, things are getting back into the swing at Queen's Park today. They have been off for a two-month break. And uh, today will mark, for example, the debut of Merritt Stiles as the new leader of his Majesty's loyal opposition. Nick, you can throw in number 22. This is Merritt Stiles um, talking about how she plans to give the gears to the incumbent government. And it's going to be interesting. I, I never make any fearless predictions. I'm always interested in sort of the horse race, I guess. It's why we talk about polls from time to time. Who's up, who's down, who's ahead. Um, but when it comes to Merritt Stiles, I don't know if she's our future premier, but I do think there's a reset button at Queen's Park right now. She's been very, very impressive as the education critic, and now she's going to be leading the whole shooting match. Our party was founded by a coalition of labor, farmers, progressives coming together to challenge the old establishment parties and build that new political power. Those are our roots. 
So Merritt Styles, I mean, that's one of the sideshows, I guess, at Queen's Park. But uh, the more important consideration will be what the provincial government, the Ford administration, is planning on bringing to the party. Because my own read on this is that Doug Ford's taken an awful lot of hits over the last few weeks. And so they're going to have to hit the ground running or... It's not the stench of death, necessarily. It's an aspect of, well, okay, this government was going along, as Doug Ford, I guess, would say, tickety-boo. And at the moment, they have some pretty serious issues. Healthcare is going to be one of the major things. We're going to talk about that on the show today. And the... The angles on that would certainly be this business of advancing toward more openness to for-profit healthcare providers. And I know for some people this is an existential crisis because anything changing the complexion of healthcare in Canada for some people is necessarily this huge threat to the whole notion of public health care and therefore it's all going to be privatized and everything's going to be for-profit and half of us won't be able to access health care and as a friend of mine always used to say, whenever anything went wrong, and then we're all going to die. Um, no, I, I think that this level of tinkering and experimentation is entirely practical. And I realize, because occasionally I consult Twitter, I realize that some people think I'm not doing uh, the heavy lifting when it comes to trying to defend healthcare from the vandals, but I... I think the current situation cannot continue. Therefore, moving forward, we we look at different options that aren't necessarily all about the, the rich fat cat from the Monopoly game. Now, I was mentioning that it was kind of a strange news cycle weekend because I think we're done in the autopsy of John Tory's Toronto. And so we'll see where that moves forward. But here we are Tuesday, I think... You know, we're all resolved to the fact of what was happening last week, what did happen last week. However, releasing the report, the Judicial Inquiry into the Emergencies Act at noon on Friday before a long weekend that applies in almost every single Canadian province, um, I don't think takes that particular issue off the table for our show this morning. I know Jason had plenty of time and our pundits had plenty of time and airspace yesterday to take a look at it. But this is my first time back on the radio since that report came out. So I think we're going to have to spend a little bit of time with it today. Um, but, you know, Justin Trudeau dodges a bullet effectively because the judge found that the threshold was met. He found it reluctantly, but he found the threshold was met. And I appreciate that for those who are disappointed in the judge's findings, that there can be all kinds of criticism of the fact that the judge has liberal roots. Um, but even Brian Lilly on the weekend was pointing out that this bogus talking point about the judge actually being related to the Trudeau family is not true. It's the kind of stuff that comes out these days, though. And it's so funny because I'll get a text from somebody saying, why aren't you talking about this, that, or the other thing? And it'll be because it's not true. Um, but... People generate random talking points in order to justify the position that they wish had been upheld. So in this case, if the judge did not find, because it would have been a completely purely triumphant 
judicial moment if the judge had actually found against Trudeau and company, but he didn't. Ergo, we have to find a way to undo his legitimacy by coming up with some sort of random criticism. Um, but no, the, it, on Friday, the report came in, and as he mentioned, it was reluctantly he was backing the government on this, and even backing the government on the business of um, freezing people's bank accounts. And so I know a lot of people were bitterly disappointed about that, but a year after the invocation of the Emergencies Act, polls show it's more popular now than it was when it was originally invoked. Okay, so we got some weather coming our way. We're going to talk about that in just a moment because we're going to hook up with our friends at CP24, our sister television station. Uh, but we'll talk about the weather, going to talk about the Up Express being back on its feet, I guess, if we can paint it like that. Plus, a guy who's charged with murder after shooting somebody who was breaking into his home. Does Canada actually have a stand-your-ground law? All right, time for what Toronto's talking about with News Talk 1010's John Mora. John, great to see you again. Hope you had a nice and relaxing uh, Family Day weekend. Let's get into it because the MPPs, they're returning to Queen's Park today after a two-month winter break. Lots of stuff on the agenda, starting with health care, probably. Absolutely. Health care is going to be at the top of the agenda, and I think it's going to be quite the fight because the provincial conservatives, as you know, Jennifer, are looking at uh, not privatizing health care, but mm -hmm. more cooperation, more involvement of private and for-profit health care. I'm pretty sure the uh, NDP and the Liberals are going to put up a fight. And the most important aspect, I suppose, today will be that Merritt Stiles debuts as the new leader of the opposition on behalf of the NDP. Mm, okay, a lot to get to. And turning to this story, which is uh, quite interesting because I think it can provide a case study between what happens in Canada versus the U.S. But a Milton man has been charged with second-degree murder after he uh, fatally shot a suspect trying to rob his house. Uh, the man's lawyer says that the man shot the guy because he was trying to defend his uh, elderly mother. This is a 22-year-old, you're right, who's facing murder charges after shooting and killing a man who was part of a group who uh, were part of a home invasion. We don't know all the circumstances, and maybe down the road we find out that these people are known to each other. But the most mm -hmm. important aspect, as you mentioned, is Canada doesn't have a stand-your-ground law. But, you know, a judge may actually find that perhaps this man was justified in shooting and killing somebody who was invading their home. And stand-your-ground is uh, in many U.S. jurisdictions where if you kill somebody, Somebody who is inside of your home, you mm -hmm. basically don't have to explain yourself. It is automatically justified. Wow. Okay. Interesting situation there. And uh, this is a little disconcerting. There's a new report out, John, that paints a gloomy picture of Torontonians' health, uh, you know, worsening during the pandemic. Yeah, and the aspects of this report, you're right, gloomy would be mm -hmm. the word. First of all, there were a whole bunch of people who didn't get tests for various things, uh, including bowel cancer and things like that, uh, cervical cancer. They didn't get those tests during COVID. Then there are aspects about how the cost of living is making it harder for people to find homes. The cost of living is also making it harder for them to eat right. So generally, this is just a picture of Torontonians. In addition to everything we had to face with the calamity of COVID and the pandemic, all kinds of other health issues that we're facing. Yeah, we'll have to pay attention to our health for sure, and that's top of the agenda at Queen's Park. And uh, John, turning to this, uh, there was a major or complete disruption earlier this month, but now the 15-minute service is returning the Up Express from Pearson to Union uh, after they discovered some, some issues in the disc brakes. 
Yeah, these were breaking issues. Apparently, they have been addressed. I think this is going to be part of a much longer story in terms of what may not be working about the Up Express equipment. However, they're back on 15-minute service. So it was suspended initially and replaced with buses. Then it came back, and it was every half hour. As of this morning, it's every 15 minutes all over again. Okay, that's good news. And finally, uh, let's talk about the weather because we've certainly had a roller coaster of a ride. It looks like uh, there is no early spring because a winter storm is expected to hit Southern Ontario, I believe, starting later tomorrow. I'll let Bill do all the heavy lifting on this. It's his specialty in Ballywick. However, we do know that it looks like a storm is going to be hitting us at some point late tomorrow, overnight, and into Thursday morning. And actually, Environment Canada, while issuing a warning, has not said how much snow they expect because at the moment they say it all depends on the temperature. So, obviously, we'll keep an eye on that from our news desks and our traffic desks and our weather desk. Yes, Bill will definitely elaborate on that. News Talk 1010's John Moore. Great to see you again, John. We'll talk with you tomorrow. Jennifer Sheng over at uh, CP24 with uh, Bill, as usual, chortling in the background. Can't always be heard, but uh, Bill and I are golf buddies, so he likes to, uh, as they would say in England, I think we can say it at this hour, he likes to take the piss out of me. Is that untoward, uh, Nick Marano, or is that No, fun? I have to look it up now and find out where it came from. I would love that, actually, because I don't know necessarily where it comes from, but I think, like so many, you know, Brits are a bit like, uh, it's like Yiddish, you know? Sometimes it just is the right word or phrase. So to come back to this uh, winter storm, I don't have a lot of special wisdom for you, except to say that the Weather Office has uh, issued a special weather statement Joe Cristiano and I were talking just before the show, and it strikes me that the weather office has become somewhat emboldened over the last few years because they're all full of warnings and bulletins and statements. And I get it. They're just trying to keep us safe. But it just seems that we've sort of commodified weather prediction predictions to the point where sometimes it kind of almost becomes weather porn. However... It is very, very important that you be ready for whatever comes our way. So we're going to keep our eyes on it. And if it becomes, in particular, a traffic issue or a situation where you're going to fall on your butt because it's going to be slippery on the sidewalks, we will endeavor to make sure you got all the right information so you can make all the right choices. Okay, let's press the pause button for a second and sort of, I'm going to shuffle my papers here. What we talk about at the top of the show, what we talk about with CP24 is not always the overall arching theme for the show. So I kind of like to um, regroup after those two segments. 5.28 is the time on our show this morning. Going to be talking with Adam Zevo from the National Post at 6.35. As you know, he is currently living in Ukraine, occasionally reporting from Ukraine, but um, <laughs> intriguingly, I guess, often writing columns about domestic affairs here in Canada all the way from uh, Odessa. But we're going to find out how he feels about the visit by Joe Biden yesterday. I was thrilled because anything that flies up the nose of Vladimir Putin, anything that, um, you know, up, uplifts the Ukrainian people and Ukraine itself, I think is absolutely fantastic. And as Joe Biden pointed out yesterday, the, the war is failing. And so Putin has to eventually probably come to the conclusion that he has to swallow his pride and get the hell out of the way, because otherwise he's just going to keep on feeding his own men into the meat grinder. We know that there'll be very difficult days and weeks and years ahead 
But Russia's aim was to wipe Ukraine off the map. Putin's war of conquest is failing. In the next half hour, I'll tell you a bit of the backstory of how Joe Biden found his way to Kyiv and perhaps more importantly, why. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.36 on a Tuesday morning. And it's a, there's a bit of a disconnect, I guess, today, because I get it. A lot of people worked yesterday. If you're, it all depends on where your company is chartered, what province you're living in, all kinds of other things, whether you're in or out of a union. So while yesterday was a welcome opportunity for me to sleep in and leave the show to be executed by Jason Agnew, I get it. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we worked yesterday. Today's day two. Thank you very much. We're moving our way through the week. But it's uh, nice to be back. And I have to say all kinds of things happened on the weekend that are great talk radio fodder. And yet Jason and company had a chance to sink their teeth into it yesterday. Uh, but I still want to touch on a few things because, you know, we're not always going to be entirely consonant on our opinions. Uh, Julie Black, for example, a longtime friend of News Talk 1010 and somebody who I've I've enjoyed her work incredibly because I think she's an amazing singer. She's also hilarious. She does a lot of hosting work. And so I've seen her at the Junos. I've seen her doing, you know, corporate conventions and stuff like that. And we've spent plenty of time talking off the air. Not entirely excited about her amendment to the national anthem. And as I said on Twitter, I use the word fusty. Maybe I am. I just don't think you mess with the national anthem. There are official words. And yes, we have changed the official words. And yes, a lot of people sort of murmur quietly because they don't quite know the official words. And after a while, even as Lester B. Pearson once said, I get tired of standing on guard. But this amendment at the NBA All-Star game, I thought was inappropriate. Our home on a native land. Okay, so you hear what she did there. Change of uh, one word and instead of our home and native land, which, it, you know, a lot of people have questioned that lyric in the past because an awful lot of people aren't born here. Um, some people apparently sing chosen land when they sing the national anthem. Um, but by changing the word to on native land, we get to the idea of this being indigenous land and we're, we're all visiting. It's a, an interesting sentiment. It's an eminently debatable thing. But I come back to the fact that I just don't think that if you are chosen to sing the national anthem that you start changing the words around to suit your agenda. And I know it seems to be very, very popular. Joe Christiana, the, the consensus amongst, well, who knows amongst whom, but an awful lot of people are very excited about this different version of the anthem. Yes, it depends on which publication you read. Some yeah. people absolutely loved it. All right. Conrad Black probably had to go outside of his home on the bridal path and yell at the moon. Um, so, yeah. I, so I'm not exorcised about it. I just, I'm not a big believer in, in trying to make a statement by changing some of the words to the national anthem. Let's keep moving. You can always text us, incidentally, at 71010. MPPs are back at Queen's Park 
today. And a few takeaways. One, Merritt Stiles is now the leader of the opposition officially. And so I don't know if there's any formal procedure that is going to be executed today, but she'll be at a new desk and she will lead things off for what will probably be a probably be a pretty ruckus question period, because here are some of the other things that we have to address today. Well, first of all, the other party leadership question is whatever happened to Mike Schreiner being asked to lead the Liberal Party that just sort of vanished. Sometimes I think Mike Schreiner has been playing the liberals because first they asked him, then he said he'd think about it. Now he hasn't said anything about it. And it kind of makes the liberals look desperate. I mean, if you do not have the critical mass within your own party to find your next leader, if you have to go recruiting like, you know, somebody looking for a university professor or a football team looking for a quarterback, if you have to go recruiting from another political party, it doesn't really look good. Okay, so those are the leadership aspects. Then we get into um, what are the things that are going to come up. I have to think the Stag and Doe party is going to be top of the list for the opposition as they go after Doug Ford. Will Doug Ford even be in the House? Who knows? But the Stag and Doe party, for those who haven't been following the bouncing ball, is this business of one of Rob For uh, Doug Ford's daughters having a stag and doe, which is a party you throw in order to get people to pay for your wedding. And you had to pay $150 to attend. It was at the premier's home and a whole bunch of developers were there. And I get it. Doug Ford has said so somewhat petulantly. He has pointed out that, yeah, I'm in business. And so, of course, other people in business are going to be friends of mine. Still, Deb Hutton was pointing out that at the time that she was in government and at the time that her husband was a cabinet minister and then leader of the opposition, they had to fill out paperwork on silly things like when they had one of their daughters and somebody sent them a present, they had to declare that to the integrity commissioner. That's just how the whole thing works. And I know if you really, really want to defend Doug Ford and all of this stuff, and I don't think it's nefarious, I just think it's uh, suspect, um, you can say, well, you know, after the fact, the integrity commissioner said everything was fine, but it's still given everything that's been going on in the green belt and various other things and uh, ministerial orders and stuff like that. It, it doesn't look good. And then we get to healthcare because that's controversy. That's the stuff that people are going to scream and yell about in question period. But we get to the hard nuts of what this government wants to get done. For one thing, we're bearing down on a budget. Don't think we have a budget day yet, but customarily they come down in the month of March. Um, and then we have amendments to health care. And one of those things is something we'll talk about on the show today. And that is the fact that the government is moving toward paying for services, healthcare services that will be provided by private uh, suppliers and, and for profit suppliers. And I'll always come back to the, to the one bar that for me defines how I want to see healthcare. I want to see people get it and I don't want to see anybody get below par. So as long as we have a baseline of the quality of healthcare that everybody is entitled to on the public ticket, then I don't get that exercised about who provides that service. There's an interesting 
uh, aspect when it comes to a few changes in healthcare. Uh, Rob Ferguson writing for the Toronto Star today about a regulatory change that will apply in mostly long-term care homes, it would seem. But effectively, some drugs will be administered by personal service workers. Normally, you must absolutely be a nurse or a doctor in order to provide these medications. However, moving forward, and it's only going to be things like pills and liquids. It's not going to be injections. It's not going to be intravenous lines or things like that. That will continue to be provided by nurses. But uh, personal service workers, for example, would be allowed to give a daily uh, medication you might be receiving because you're a diabetic or pain relievers, stuff like that. And I can appreciate the fine point of wanting to have sort of medical oversight when it comes to administering medications, but I don't see this as a bridge too far. Let's put it that way. I get it. There's probably some people listening today are like, oh, how could you abandon the healthcare system? Tommy Douglas is crying. No, it's just, you know, we're, we're finding means of spreading around the resources and getting the job done. And as long as quality is not affected, I'm not going to be all that sad about it. Lots of other things to talk about today happening in the uh, great province of Ontario, including an announcement from General Motors about how they're going big on electric in Ontario. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. As mentioned, there is a winter storm coming our way, and uh, they, they credit it to a Colorado low. However, according to the statement I'm looking at, due to uncertainty over the exact timing and location of the storm, Environment Canada has not released how much snow is expected to fall. So maybe it'll be like a gender reveal party. Sounds like a disclaimer. A weather storm coming, but we're not sure exactly when or how or why. Yeah. It, it's... Um, unlike the weather office to sort of shy away from calamity, but um, I guess that's where we are. Certainly this time of year, I mean, it's almost the end of the month of February, and uh, the first of March is meteorological spring. I always think as we approach the beginning of March that, yeah, we're still a fair way away from golfing, but there is a stirring. You know, the staff start coming and take the boards off the... uh, the clubhouse windows if they uh, if they board the place up. I appreciate that uh, an awful lot of golf clubs operate all the way through winter, but others just, that's it, key in the door, we're out of here. And then you start trying to rehab the grounds and get things ready, and you can taste spring in the air. I was mentioning General Motors and uh, how they've got plans for St. Catharines. And I get excited about this stuff because... Based on the investment that we have had psychologically in the automobile industry in the province of Ontario, which much like Detroit was a powerhouse, and then we started shrinking it down. And then we got to the point where we would close a plant and 1,200 people would lose their jobs, which is very, very sad, but it wasn't some sort of existential threat to Ontario's industrial heartland. It was just that psychologically, we thought any plant closing in Ontario was worthy of a state funeral. And yet, over the last few years, we've been building up the Ontario automotive industry. 
And one of the positions our provincial government has taken over the last few years is trying to figure out how to make Ontario a powerhouse for the building of electric cars. And we're going to be building the batteries and we're going to be building the cars. So there's a great future in all of this. General Motors says it plans to build motors for electric vehicles at its St. Catharines, Ontario propulsion plant. Uh, this is expected to support around 500 jobs at the facility. Uh, the plant currently has a little over 1,100 employees. They're already making V6 and V8 engines as well as transmissions. Now they're going to be moving over to building electric motors. I was re reading an interesting profile on the weekend, incidentally. It was uh, seeking to debunk a lot of the talking points about what's wrong with electric cars. And I'll never quite understand the dynamic of, for example... Um, trees have to be cut down at Osgood Hall to make way for a subway project. Trees, bad. Environmentalists, bad. When, in fact, there might be an alternative plan that would allow those trees to persist. But all of a sudden, you've got columnists at the Sun writing about how tree huggers are ruining the world. And when it comes to electric cars or anything else that is green or environmentally friendly, people feel the need to seek out talking points in order to discredit whatever future some of these technologies might have. So, for example, there was a movie that came out last year that sought to portray the green industry as being hopelessly um, harmful to the environment instead of helpful and as incredibly costly. And then it turns out, if you start digging into the movie, for example, the solar panels they were mocking as useless and expensive were from like 2005, and the movie was made in like 2020. So when you get to things like electric cars, there is this urgency in some quarters to discredit electric cars. First of all, say that the batteries are uh, incredibly environmentally damaging. Well, actually, and, and or that they don't last. And actually, as it turns out, batteries for electric cars are now manufactured to outlive the car. And when they're done, what do they do with them? They ship them off to like a solar farm and they plug them in. They use them to gather, uh, to store electricity by day that'll be used by night when the sun isn't shining. So there's a whole sort of shopping list of talking points against elect electric cars. And most of the objections have expired because technology has moved on. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.